I don't think he needs an introduction at this point. You saw the first bite. We're here with Blake Bulletproof Troop, MMA fighter, pro wrestler, actor, jack of all trades. Um, Blake, where are we at? Why'd you pick this spot? So we are at Lovebird in Lakeland. I live here in Lakeland, Florida. And I came here recently and it was the best chicken sandwich I think I'd ever had. And so here we are, brought y'all back so y'all can experience some of the deliciousness. Man, this Nashville chicken sandwich is so good. All right. So what'd you get, Ricky? He's got the Nashville chicken sandwich. You've got... We got the... Jesus. Hold on. Get it together, Ricky. Get it together. I believe it was the goat. I know you. I know you got the. You're my boy, Blue. Yeah. And, oh, I got the the Alabama chick. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> the Alabama chick I got first time I came here. Oh, you, that's this is the one you had. Yeah. All right. Let's see. I'm about to be sloppy over here, so. I think before we get into any questions, I gotta I gotta take a bite of this. I got to say, I told you on the way over, Blake, this was a great choice. I love the ambience, the chicken sandwich matches. What do you think, Rick? Wow. I actually like this. Bro, it's like an explosion of flavor, that one. Oh, my God. So good. Dude, There's the right amount of crispiness to the chicken where it's like still juicy, but like yeah. crisp on the outside. Dude, look how big the sandwich is. Oh, they're massive. Look at this. Blake, how many of these can you eat? I could probably eat one and a half to two. I'm already like almost done with this one right here. Oh man. Well, it's good because usually we, we keep you guys from eating by asking too many questions. So it's probably for the better. Um, but let's just jump right in. So Blake, you were an MMA fighter for a long time. Uh, that, is, that, is that where you got your start in MMA or was there something Correct. that- So I've been fighting professionally for about a little bit over nine years. I've been- <coughs> I've been training for since 2001, so 22, 23 years. I've been training martial arts, um, including like jujitsu, not just martial arts, but like fight-related um, martial arts. Um, and then, like I said, competing for profession for just under a decade, which is really where I built the foundation of my brand, Bulletproof Troop. I started Bulletproof Troop LLC in 2016, January of 2016. So I'm eight years into doing this Bulletproof Troop combat sports personality uh, but fighting is really where things began to develop where I've like I said built the foundation of my brand and what what attracted you to MMA initially and I take a bite too yeah it's a good time oh it's so good well so I was born in 1987 I grew up watching very early WWE and like before kayfabe broke, I believed it. I thought it was all real. And when kayfabe did break, it broke a little bulletproof troop's heart. And so this is around the time, like mid to late 90s. And it's also the time that UFC really started coming up. And so UFC stole my heart. Now I'm seeing real fighting guys really in there. And this is when I believe professional wrestling had been. Uh, quickly stole my heart, started training and combat sports. Like I said, stole my heart for a long time, you know, but now I have come full circle back to professional wrestling and it excites me. But so it was really, KFA breaking is what brought me to mixed martial arts. Had that had 
that never happened, I might have just stayed professional wrestling nonstop and been here a decade sooner than I am today. Right, right. So were you watching WWF slash WWE still when they had kind of that crossover with guys like Ken Shamrock and um, Dan, Dan Severn? Severn? Absolutely, 100%. So this is really the years that I watched, you know, playing No Mercy or WrestleMania on Nintendo 64. Yeah, those are my yeah, games. I, I played those so much. Like that was... Dude, I, I lost a lot of friends playing No Mercy <laughs> at WrestleMania. Playing at their house, take the title from them, they kicked me out of their house, never speak to them again. Yeah, that was, excuse No Mercy was in WrestleMania. Those are, that and like James Bond are probably some of my most nostalgic video games in childhood, yeah, you know? So it was definitely that era of professional wrestling. Um, and so I didn't, I stopped watching by the time I went turned into WWE. Um, and it's just because UFC had stolen my heart so much. Um, so what, what, uh, what era would you say you came into, uh, UFC? Like who was, who were the big guys at that time? Ken Shamrock, Hoist Gracie. I'm talking like the first five. I started, started seeing some of this. Like one of my, so I had a friend whose older brother was into it and we'd like watch him at his house when we get a chance. Like, cause it was, it was much harder to access then than it is today. And right. I just go on the internet. Back Watch then, it was kind of hard to find. You know, you had like VHSs. Yeah, it kind of made it exciting too. Yeah, and so, but I was a huge fan of it then. Like you could tell it was as real as it gets. Blah blah blah. And, I, and the early UFCs were wild. I don't. You guys are fight fans, so you know. But like, oh yeah, yeah. the one the glove first fight, and the, yeah. the big no, old uh, fat no guy that got his, the tooth knocked out. It was yeah. awesome. You <laughs> punch a dude in the dick. Like, it was wild. It was wild. Like, we, it, we brought that up a couple of times. And they called it human cockfighting. And, like, I'm a purist, so I, I'm i am not a huge fan of weight classes. They're like, I think there should be no gloves. Right. But at the same time, like, it's not su super socially acceptable. I can see why they had to get rid of some of that stuff. Like, you see a guy who's 400 pounds against a guy who's, like, 135, and it's like... Kind of cheap. Or, yeah, like, you see a dude dip down and get kicked in the face those, and all his teeth Those guys were getting destroyed, though. So like, did what pulled you in? Like when you started, a lot of guys, even though jujitsu kind of was reigning king once Hoy, uh, Hoist Gracie was in there and choking everyone out. When you started martial arts, what did you start with? Kickboxing and jujitsu. I just happened. So in two thousand and one, I just happened to go to a kickboxing school that had really legit people at it. Because now you go to you throw a baseball and hit a jiu-jitsu school. Yeah. It wasn't like that before. Nah, it definitely wasn't. I'm from Los Angeles, born and raised, which is where the Gracie family, that's where their headquarters is. That's where jiu-jitsu started in America. Right. was in Los Angeles. And so I just happened to be born in the right area of the right city. And when I had no weight for anyone <clears> to do kickboxing, he just happened to pull up the right gym that had the right legit people at it. And so I started getting legitimate training at... 2001, like 15 years old, 14 years old, back when it wasn't necessarily readily available. Um, and so it's crazy. Some of these people are like very still around today. It's crazy. I was talking like one of the judges at, at fights this past weekend, and we're like talking about some of these people I just happened that I trained with, and it's like 20 something years later. Yeah, it's nuts. So wait, did you start at Black House? No, I did not oh. start at Black House. Um, I began training at Black House in early 2016. Okay. But I'd known Ed Suarez from Black House for a long time. So where did you start training, though? So it was a small little gym called South Bay JKD. Um, oh, nice. And it wasn't like a big name brand gym or anything. But I don't think Black House came into existence in Los, in Los Angeles until probably like 
2007, maybe 2008. Yeah. He's the owner of Black House, a guy named Ed Suarez and George Camaris. And Ed Suarez originally was a Sinister Warehouse, his brand right. fight clothing. Sinister. I used to work at On The Map Fight Shop. It was one of my first shops oh, that's after awesome, high dude. school. So you know, you know Gumby? I know Gumby very well. Yeah. I've known Gumby since 2006, bro. Nice, dude. I'm half crazy black, but I know Gumby very well. Oh, you're a, you got your black belt under half crazy? No, I said Gumby. Oh, oh, who did you, you got your black belt? I'll get my black belt this year from Hegan Machado. Oh, that's, that's, dude. The, so, na the names you're dropping right now, it's it's legendary in the sport. Right, so exa exactly. You know, I'm like, I'm very proud of the lineage that I represent. And that, that, that's everything. Like, who, the next question is, who'd you get your black belt? Where are your black belt? Who'd you get it from? Like, Yeah. Well, that that's the thing, too. Back in the day, you know, when you were doing jiu-jitsu, to figure out, like you said, there wasn't gyms everywhere like there is now. And you'd still, when you'd go to the gym, you'd be like, what's your lineage? Oh and, yeah, and, and you, you know, it should be on a wall, a lot of walls. It should be, but now it's crazy because, like, you got McDojo's now. People we, either can't trace their lineage or like don't care to trace their fake black belts. Yeah, it's the worst. One thing I will say that I like about jujitsu, and I'm like I'm big on like honor, respect, and so forth, which I think are fundamentals of martial arts. But at the same time, the Brazilian martial art of Brazilian jujitsu, yeah, it's about respect and so forth. But those dudes are dojo storm. Like, oh, we'll fuck up your best black belt. And they do it like time. So, like, give the guy five or six chances and just mop them up. Like, which I think to an extent also, I'm big on honor and respect and so forth. But at the same time, this is for combat. Like, let's right. see the fucking, let's see who, who's got the better combat style. Were you, you know? were you uh, around for any of that? No, I wish. Oh, I wish I'd got to see some Dojo Storm. No, I never. The, I know the, the Hicks and Dojo Storms are legendary, man. I know a lot of the Japanese guys stormed them down in Brazil and in Cali. I know it happened a lot, too. Oh, yeah. And so that was, that was one thing that I liked that kind of used to protect the integrity of jiu-jitsu. Because you're going to have people that are claiming to be black belts in every style. But jiu-jitsu, they roll into your place and like, yep. you know, like, you ain't going to fly for a long time. <laughs> You're not going to see that in, like, the Taekwondo world or whatever, nah, you know? Like, nah, definitely not. Jiu-Jitsu, though, I'll come into your school and kick the shit out of you. But, dude, Which, I mean, being also being born in the 80s, I wish that we had that shit with Taekwondo. I wish you had, like, legit Taekwondo with Dojo Storms just, like, back in the day. You'd watch the movies and be like, those were better days. So combat sports has come a long way since its inception. Big time, dude. Like earlier, see, like I see why it wasn't socially acceptable, but come a long way in terms of being like a legitimate mainstream sport where there's like full presentation of a sport. It was a little wild before, and I prefer the, the old school wildness. But like, I wish they'd at least bring back the old shorts and stuff, man. I don't like the the matching Reeboks and all that. Yeah, I mean, I'm all I care about for the shorts is the fighters being able to get paid sponsorship. Right, that too. You know, like that's part of how I make my money in pro wrestling. But even like you were bringing up uh, on the mat and sinister, half the shorts in the UFC were like on the mat, sinister, warrior gear, like all warrior, that stuff, warrior, yeah. man. One hundred percent. And now it's Reebok. <laughs> it was more exciting, even when you saw the guy with the condom depot on his ass. Like it was, <laughs> it was UFC, man. Yeah. So I actually had my so my opponent this week, and I'm facing off against Joe Alonzo at the NWA's Paranoia Live event down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And in one of like the little promo type things that he said to me, he's like, "Yeah, you probably we used to wear tap out shirts." And I'm like, "Bro, 
Absolutely. I've been in the fight game for so long. I remember when tap out was cool. Like, <laughs> I've been in it that long. It's bro. so true, though, man. There was a time where they kind of became the joke brand. Oh, yeah. And, like, I get it. But, like, they were the, in my opinion, like, then Throwdown came out. Like, yeah. there were some other ones. Like, they were the pioneers, yeah. Well, they, they paid a lot of guys and kept them afloat. Oh, yeah. The sport probably wouldn't be around without them, at least where it's at now. Isn't that guy that passed? They put him in the in the UFC Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Charles. Yeah. So another interesting thing, my friend bought Charles's uh, Bentley after he died. Oh, what? That's crazy. And he let me drive it to one of my fights. Shit. Wow, Damn. Man. What a small world. Los Angeles. My Los God. Angeles fight game. <laughs> that is very true. So how long were you training before you had your first fight? So I, like I said, I started training like 2001, freshman year of high school. I took my first fight. 2014 to like a long time. I was, started, it, was it amateur? Because I know like in Florida, they didn't so, have amateur for a while. So I've only lived in like California. I've never fought out here. I moved out here in December of 2020. I'm from Los Angeles. Right. Born and raised, spent my whole life. So they there. have amateur over there? Yeah, I should have taken amateur fights. I oh, you went straight um, to pro. <laughs> yeah, like, so was my choice. But at the same time, I felt, I feel like in retrospect that I had not the best guidance. People weren't concerned about the best for my future, they're more concerned about other fighters they manage. And there was a lot of hype around me because I've been involved in the sport for so long. And I was like super well connected. And so I feel like I got used as a, like a betting chip on the table. Troop oh, takes this shit. tough ass fight when we get three or four fights, easier fights for my guys where I kind of got, you know, which I'm not mad at, but you live and you learn. Um, I went four and five in my first nine fights, which is not great. Three or four of those fights being on TV. I guess like I fought Cleo Roundtree on 10 day notice. Um, oh shit, dude. But like I said, four and five, which isn't great. And then in my last five fights, which I managed myself, have gone four and one, yeah. including a co-main event on the Fox Sports Network and what was supposed to be a main event on the Fox Sports Network. Um, both those being for titles um, and that being the one that I lost and then COVID happened and I missed the second one. So I felt like I just did a better job of managing myself. I took six fights in the first six months of my career. Holy shit, dude. And again, because I... I don't even think they let I you do that. I made all the choices course. for myself. Nobody made me, forced me to do anything. But I think had I had better guidance, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have put myself in that position and had to fight my way out of a hole. Um, but you live and you learn. So what did you feel uh, like the losses were you were you maybe weak in an area because you jumped in without kind of exploring where you were weak in the fight game like did you i yes so part of it i think that i took way bigger weight cuts than i should have i fought at 170 pounds once which is crazy and you walk around at i'm currently like 240 something oh, um, shit, at that dude. time i was probably 215 when i took the fight yeah i got down to like just under 200 um yeah right me at 170 pounds yeah that's crazy there's only one way i make 170 pounds again i gotta cut off my dick to do it <laughs> but i'll be there in one snip <laughs> Oh, man. But so massive weight cuts where my last fight was supposed to be at heavyweight. And I really feel like I'd taken, put handcuffs on my body's ability to perform. Uh, and then also getting into higher level competition. I was very well connected. So, like, I got offers from, you know, my third fight was in the LF RFA. My fifth fight was in the RFA. Like, my seventh fight was in the RFA. All televised. I fought clear around you. My fourth fight third yeah, fight that's crazy i fought at the aloha stadium in my second fight at 170 pounds like 
I don't regret things, you know, like, but I would have made probably better choices. If right. I was in charge of my career now, knowing what I know, I would have made different choices. I think the game's a lot different now, too. We, we talk about it a lot on the show. Uh, you know, it's, it's becoming a lot more like boxing. Guys want to protect that record coming up. You got a lot of undefeated fighters more than ever. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, in my opinion, the thing that's almost more valuable than having that undefeated record is by being an entertaining person, you know? Mm -hmm. Connor's Connor. Connor has a few losses. Connor's still the most highest paid MMA fighter by far because he's entertaining. He was still rumored you know, to headline the biggest guys, card. I think if guys put more focus on trying to become just a little more entertaining, like if they spent, you're training 15, 20 hours a week, if you put one of those hours every week into branding or catchphrases or some type of entertainment value-boosting effort. It's so true. It would take, a, and like nothing you can, shouldn't train. Like the first three most important things is being a fighter is being able to fight, being able to fight, being able to fight. You can't do those three things, no matter what the fuck else you do. Yeah. But if you can do those three things and then you can also come out and entertain, like, does Kick Connor fight? Absolutely. But Connor's Connor because he can talk. 100%. And he doesn't just go up there and wing it. That motherfucker is prepared to go up there and be an entertainer and have his witty shit to say. And, like, I think guys put more effort into that. Just like I did with Bulletproof Troop, that is exactly what I did with Bulletproof Troop. That I looked at a variety of people in a similar industry and created my brand. Similar industry being pro wrestling. Ric Flair's got woo, I got bang bang. <laughs> Hulk's got his Hulkamaniacs, I got my Bulletproof Troopers. Like, you don't always got to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes you just need to be creative about reapplying what you're looking at in a way that's genuine to you and your brand. You know, and I'm not ripping, in, I'm not ripping off Ric Flair's woo by saying bang, bang, but I'm absolutely utilizing the same conceptual thing about having like a sound or something behind it. You know, you say woo to fucking anything. You say bang, bang to anything. Now, if you hear someone- It can be good, it can be bad, it can be high, exactly. it can be bad, it can be fuck this guy, it can be man, that, man, bang, bang, that's it, which was bomb, yeah, bang, bang, like- And now when they hear it, Blake True. Exactly. Blake, let me let me ask you when so we were talking earlier and I asked you if Blake Troop was your actual name. Cause it's such a, a strong name. It was like a perfect like made up name. Yeah, so I get that all the time. People think Blake Troop is a stage name. Um, but Blake Troop is actually on my birth certificate. My full name is Blake Christopher Troop, but that's my born name. You know, people think true, and as badass as it sounds, I don't blame them for thinking it's like a made-up thing. But yeah, it's on my birth certificate. And so I'll tell you guys how I became Bulletproof Troop next. Yeah, this is what I want to hear. So my name's Blake Troop, and I was fighting MMA, and I've had a few fights where I've taken damage, but I just keep going. Like, I never I never give up. And, like, so there's been times where I'm just eating damage and moving forward and swinging back and fighting. And so I have the nickname Bulletproof. Like, I fucking, like, you could just fucking Bulletproof taking all these shots. So it's Blake Bulletproof Troop. I just dropped Blake Bulletproof Troop. So, and like, I have a lot of people that think it's some military thing or like, Sounds like I'm it. trying to play soldier and I get it, it, you know, like, and it's, I would say it has a very like militant vibe to it, you know, but it all comes down to just my last name being Troop. And then I wear the armor and stuff because like Bulletproof Troop, I, my whole thing was like, my idea behind my brand is like being a superhero. What does Bulletproof Troop the superhero look like? He got a big grenade chain. He's got like this bulletproof vest, you know, like. I, I instantly, like when I, first, when I first saw you, I know we were at a CCW show and you bought a, the Wrangler, Nick yeah. Turner. My son goes out. I took my son there that night. He runs out, he comes back, he goes, I took a picture with this huge guy full of muscles. He has a big chain. And I was like, that was the guy that just wrestled. 
So I go outside, and the first thing that I thought about was like G.I. Joe, superhero, and Colonel Guile from Street Fighter. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, of dude, things. we're in a similar age of, of like video yeah. games and stuff, 100%. So Guile's another big one, too. And I was like, he has, he has the right gimmick, and a lot of people say that the gimmick's not so far from who they really are. According to to, to the crown, everyone. Cha -cha, everyone. <laughs> so uh, I 100% agree. And it does take, like I said, where it's superhero inspired. We're from a very similar age of growing up where bro, superheroes was a big thing. I watched superhero cartoons all the time. I played Street Fighter all the time. I watched G.I. Joe, like, you know, and then I just kind of created the variety of things around the brand because I didn't just want to be the MMA guy in pro wrestling. What am I going to come out with gloves on? Like, <laughs> Dude, that's a good point too because like you're, you're rocking the camel the the superhero and it's kind of hard to ever like leave kayfabe i feel like that'll follow you like, like i don't see how you will be a heel being the superhero always so my follow-up question is when you're an mma and you have that mindset do you think yourself as like here i could be a heel or do you try to stay kayfabe during uh an mma fight so I would say in terms of mixed martial arts, like shoot competition. Yeah. Everybody, if everybody's a face, if you want to be different, you have to be a heel. Everyone's, oh, I want to thank God. I want to thank my opponent and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But when the guy comes down, he's like, your wife sent me DMs. That, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's where you get it. You know, Connor came out and he was a big time heel. Then he switched over to the face after the loss and he switched back to a uh -huh. heel. Like it's textbook pro wrestling. But you almost have to be healed, like a, coming out and talking shit, you know, because everyone's, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to thank so-and-so and thank uh, God. And I, But you come out and you're like, who the fuck is that? I want to take this moment to apologize to absolutely nobody. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. Like it's just like you said, like you, you have to, I feel like if there's a camera in front of you, you have to be a little entertaining. Yeah. You can't well, just, not right? to mention like Floyd Mayweather kind of like built the prototype for being the heel that everyone tunes in to watch you lose, not so, to win. And, and MMA, the first person I ever saw like, cut a promo was Chael. Chael Sonnen, and I was never a fan of him. I didn't even know who he was. Well, <laughs> he, he followed him more than I did, but I was like, I fucking love this guy. Oh yeah. He shit on Anderson Silva. The American like, gangster. You absolutely suck. And I was like, I'm a fan now. I'm a big fan of Chael as well. So another one of the early personalities was Tito Ortiz. Oh, for sure. Oh, that came right. out and had a distinct look. He had his taunts. He had his brand. Like They had entrances back then, too. You know, run up through the crowd with his flags. Yeah. Um, but it surprised me that more guys don't try and implement little things, you know. But I think you almost have to be a heel. And so another big thing with me, like, being this personality is I would talk a bunch of shit to my opponents and piss them off. Because here's the thing. Now all his friends want to watch him kick my ass and all my friends want to watch. And then now they're interested. So not only do I sell a lot of tickets, but now my opponent sells a fuckload more tickets too. And everybody wins. And everybody wins. And everybody wins. I think that's what, if I'm watching a UFC uh, pre-show and they're not talking shit, I'm switching over. <laughs> I'm switching over. Like, Sometimes it's too much though. Some of these guys sells. can't do it. You know, but it's, it's cringy when guys are trying too hard to come yeah. up. I'm, I'm going to drop a name. Ian, Ian McGarry or what's, what's his name? Kobe, maybe. Kobe. I was going to say Kobe. So sometimes Kobe, he I, was think, doing good, I think though. he's the right amount of like cringe because he's trying to be this like, ugh. Like, that's just, the reaction he's trying. But sometimes it's a little too much. And he definitely went also, too hard like, last time. Mentioning the dad thing with um, Leon Edwards. We were just talking about that on the right here. 
And one thing that did double down bothered me was when they faced off and he's like, I was in character. I was in character. Like, motherfucker, don't well, back out to put, now. To like, put the other angle on that, a lot of people were saying he was trying to make fun of Leon because Leon said wow. Leon was getting emotional. And he was telling Leon, I thought it was just a character. So he was like, I don't know which it is. I haven't seen Colby speak on it. But some people were, were thinking that maybe it was Colby still pressing, saying, hey, I thought it was a character. Why are you getting emotional? But doing all that and then putting on the performance he did, you're like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I was surprised. I thought Kobe was going to get emotional all the time. Be on Edwards. Um, I thought so too. But it also makes me think it maybe got in his head when he's like, "Oh man, it was it was just I was just it was just an act." We're yeah. like, "Oh shit, I don't want to fight this guy. I don't want to take my head off." You know who's good on the mic as well? Uh, ben Roth, Ben Big Ben Rothwell. <laughs> he cut another fucking wrestling promo on that UFC, and I was like, "Geez, awesome." So he's somebody who really wants to do it too, because I watched him cut a promo after his BKFC debut. Yeah, and the thing was. The content was great. The delivery he was just too fast. Blah 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 blah. And he said he had some really good lines in it. And I remember one of them. He's like, "At the end of this fight, there's probably more questions than there are answers." But he just went blah 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 blah. That you just totally missed it. All he really had to say was, "Man, at the end of this fight, there's almost more questions than answers." And that been ninety percent of the promo. Let them right. ask you another question instead of run through because it's scripted. I'm gonna run through my whole script. Yeah, it makes then, it obvious. Well, just you just lose the connection to the points in time and say blah 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 just like a pro wrestling match are we gonna just run to the next spot or are we gonna let the crowd digest whoa uh -uh. into the next thing I can't remember the dude's name you remember the Mexicutioner um yeah uh, uh, I can't remember his name but I remember his nickname he was he was a Mexicutioner but he had he a he was out of San Diego I can't fucking think of his name yeah he but he's he, a heavyweight champion Joey Joey Beltran. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Random as fuck. Put it in my mouth. <laughs> but, but that was teamwork right there. That yeah, was teamwork. He had the cringiest post-fight interview one time where he was trying to get everyone behind him, but I don't think they really knew who he I know was. I exactly what you're talking about. And he's like, "Don't, don't fear me. Fear the Reaper." Or, or something, something to that effect. But he was saying it, trying to get the crowd it started, to say it, and it's just nobody knew what to say. And he was just like, "Come on, everybody." It got it got weird. But I think he was one of the first guys that was trying to kind of have a catchphrase, and it, it just kind of flopped. But the thing is, dude, Bang Bang is not always caught for me, you know, like known for dropping warheads on people's foreheads has, but you don't know how many times I've tried different things that yeah. didn't catch. And then you get something like, all right, this was, this was the one. I, I, I was seeing another way the right over here for the intro. I didn't even say it. Bring dropping it on warheads on people's foreheads. Talking about that, you had a, you had a great um, video with Master Ken. Like, dude, that shit had me dying. That's when I knew you were good at what you do. Because he was playing on the lights out thing the entire time, and you <laughs> you were, you killed it. So that lights out was not planned at all. No, no, we improv, and so the first time I did, he's like, "Lights are still on," and then like I did it again. <laughs> then we that was one hundred percent improv. Oh shit! So I was showing him the moves, but we didn't really know where the thing was gonna go, and like, yeah, that was a fun one. But yeah, all the lights being improv, even when like he's like lights out, and his girl went and turned yeah. off. I was like, <laughs> motherfucker, like. My reaction to actually turning off was like legitimate. <laughs> He's, he is a fantastic performer. And so I've been watching Master Ken stuff for like yeah. 10 years plus, you know? So like when he approached me to do a video and he hit me up, oh, I was that's just awesome. like, Damn, absolutely. he would have been so happy. <laughs> we actually filmed two videos. I'm waiting for the second one to drop. I don't know when or what to deal with. Oh, shit. Like. It's a Christmas present for everyone to look forward to. 
Yeah. So let me step back a little bit. So you, you trained for a while at the, the Jeet Kune Do spot. Um, I'm just super interested in the black house part because like, so, dude, you had some legends in that gym. So oh, how, yeah. how was it? Like what brought you there and how was it? Um, all right. So I'll give you the so beginning of high school. I trained a little bit in South Bay JKD. Um, do a couple other traditional martial arts and stuff and then start training the gi again in my junior year of high school. Train a little bit here and there, but not like a ton. And then I graduate high school in 06 and uh, started working on the mat fight shop, which is where I got really connected with a bunch of people. And I wanted to fight. I ended up going back to school in like 08, but I'm still training a bunch now at this point. Between like 06 and 09, I trained a lot, a lot. Um, Along with Bob Bass, who's the first American in his black belt in Jiu-Jitsu from Higa Machado, but yeah, first yeah. American ever. Part of the dirty dozen, first dozen people to get a black belt that not Brazilian. Right, right, right. Um, and so I got really well connected, and then I realized the value in having an education. Like, I was working as a manager at On The Mat Fight Shops Warehouse, and, like, it was cool, but I wanted more out of life. Um, and so I ended up going back to school. My parents helped me with school when I was at community college. I ended up getting some scholarship grant money and stuff. But the deal was that I couldn't fight while I was in school. Ooh. So I was like, all right. Your parents put that out there? Parents said that. Oh, that's fucked up. And so, which I was like, all right. And so I ended up starting to do school, blah, blah, blah. Do well, get my associate's degree. Ended up having good grades and stuff. Got a little bit of a scholarship. And then so I continued through. And I ended up graduating from Long Beach State in 2014. Um, I was at community college for like two years. A year at Dominguez Hills before I transferred to Long Beach State for like um, the degree that I currently have. And so by the time I graduated, and like I graduated, I was like, man, I really want to fight. And my parents were like, you still fucking want to fight? Were you training still? Yeah, yes and no. <laughs> Not like a ton, but yeah. Um, and so I got my bachelor's degree in um, kine or kinesiology with an emphasis in athletic training, which is like sports medicine. Oh, nice. I was working on the sports medicine team for Chivas USA Major League Soccer. And while working for the team Chivas USA, so every day we'd have lunch catered for us. The players would all eat, and then the auxiliary staff would all eat, like the athletic trainers and the coaches and the equipment guys and you know all, all the other people that are part of the team but aren't on the team. Right. And so you never know who you're going to sit sit at a table with. You know, there's a bunch of different tables in there. And so I'm sitting talking to one of the coaches, and we're talking for one day. It's like, athletic trainers, what you want to do with your life? And I was like, yeah, you know, I really like it, blah, 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 blah. But he's like, no, 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 like, this is like what you want to do with your life. He's like, yeah, well, I can see myself doing this for a long time, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, kid, I don't think you understand the question. You are either building your dream or helping somebody else build theirs. Yeah. This is what you want to do with your life. That was it. And I was like, fucking fucked my whole world up. And like, you might see me like, he's like, think about it, kid. And just goes back to you in like normal conversation <laughs> table. And I'm like, my whole world just got fucking, I'm like, just graduated college. I've got this degree. I'm working for an awesome team. And like, is this really what you want to do? It seems like life? a crazy thing to say to someone in that position. Well, was it? It wasn't. Nah. I wanted to go fight. Uh, I'm like, how, how old were you there in that moment? 2014. So let's see. 20, so six, 2014? 25. All right. And you were already, were you still living with parents or you were living no, on your I'm, own? I'm done with college already. I'm living by myself. Done with college. Working for Chivas USA, sports medicine team. So you're, gonna, you're about to start your whole life over again to chase yeah. this dream. After getting a fucking college degree, like, yeah. Damn, dude. So <laughs> I ended up taking my first pro fight like six weeks later. Took six fights in six months. Like, 
just dove completely into fighting. And I told myself, I was like, I'm gonna give myself five years no matter what, blah, 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 to like really give myself a chance to go after my dreams. And like two and a half, three years in, I'm four and five. I think it was like two and a half years in, I'm four and five. Things aren't going as well as I thought. Like, and I came this close to quitting and I was like, but I was like, bro, you told yourself you're gonna give yourself five fucking years. Like if there's anything you're gonna like step up and, and come through on, it's gonna be for you and your fucking dreams. Like, but you gotta do something different. This shit ain't fucking work. Like, we need to make adjustments with four and five right now. And so I was training down to San Diego at the time. So some of the adjustments I made, I started Bulletproof Troop, moved to Black House, started managing myself. And did a variety of different things to drastically change the direction and trajectory of my career. Which brings you back to where you were saying about Black House. So I started training at Black House in 2016 and there were some fucking killers there. Camille Roundtree who had knocked me out in a fight mm-hmm. earlier in the year. Did that uh, influence you going there? No, I didn't care if it was there, but it's be, me having been beaten by a guy there, I'm a humble mother. I'm a humble guy and I'm a competitive athlete. Right. If he beat me, then it's better than me. I need to go train with guys. Well, that, that, yeah, that's me. what I mean. Like, did him beating you kind of go, hey, that gym's probably pretty good. Yeah, so, but I mean, I knew Black House. Yeah. I, mean, I already, like, it's... Of course. You're in the game, you know, it's yeah. the fucking... It's, the Nagueras, uh, the Oda Machida. Exactly. So Silva. I trained a lot with Leona Anderson. Brian Ortega was there a lot at that point in time. James Mutasri, Alan Zubon, Kevin Casey, Sean Strickland, Alexander Shemango coming a lot. Andre Korshkov coming a lot. Alexander Volkov comes in a lot. I, I was a... Damn. A bunch of training camps Alexander Volkov. Uh, I mean, and those are all like, I mean, maybe like four or five of them were not top ten people. And like Carlos Farza for years and years, like right, right. Uh, just so many people coming in and training, either coming to town and training with us a little bit, or just our in-house squad was just stacked full of killers. You know, head coach Kenny Johnson is in the Dan Gable Hall of Fame, which is like, I mean, if you're a wrestler, that's Dan Gable's the fucking. He's the man. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really. He's got get a more damn prestigious. grip named after him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so just training with top tier guys and it made such I think a combination of everything where now I'm training with the best of the best so now when you're fighting or training guys like that guys at other gyms I'm not going to put them down but like you know when you're training with legends of the sport multiple time world champions like especially like dominant era type champions you know like was there was there more of a guidance when you were in Black House? yes and so initially, I would say with the first year, not as much because I was low on the total pool. Right, you right. Know, right. Um, as expected, right? Like, uh, oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. Just breaking down the situation. Because like, at that point in time, I'm a nobody. I'm four and five. Yeah, I'm big and jacked and like, great training partner. But like four and five, um, you know, the big coaches, you're probably cornering the big name guys on weekends mm-hmm. where you might get another fighter or something along those lines. Took me a year there. Uh, and so I really found my personal coach, which is Rage, who I had known for a long time. But it took me a while for us to build the trust and the bond and the ability to work together and, and have a coach-fighter dynamic. It's different when you know people at the gym and you all train together versus being able to sit and have somebody else be a strategist for your development and so forth. You know, are we, are we training partners or are you like helping guide the development of my career? And so once I met Rage, that was a massive change in my... Um, in my continued success, I went four and one after I started training with Rage. Uh, really got my boxing and hands on point and found, filled a lot of the holes and weaknesses that I needed. Where I needed a, a coach who really cared to come in and help me fill these holes as opposed to just 
being another guy at the gym who's getting better, but like when you're strategically filling holes, you're getting better at a much faster rate. Right. You know, I got my boxing to the point where I, have you ever heard of a guy named uh, Derek Chisora? Derek Ward Chisora yeah. box. Yeah. Bro, to the point where I'm fucking having rounds with Derek Chisora that are oh, competitive. Oh, shit. See, that's one of the nice things about being in Cali, too. You got a lot of crazy boxers over there. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, it's just, just was people huge. in general. There's so many people are coming to California for different things. Right. You know, uh, but Rage drastically changed the trajectory of my career. So I really consider my two coaches, Rage, my striking coach from Engager Rage, and Kenny Johnson, Bolt Wrestling, Kenny Game Hall of Fame. Dude, I think that's the golden combo, too. Like, wrestling and boxing. I don't think you can go wrong with that. Agreed. Like, a lot of guys think it's jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai, but, man, like, you're a dominant motherfucker if you just do wrestling and boxing and you're good at them. 100%. So, I think catch wrestling is really, in my opinion, the premier style of yes. grappling for fighting. Because the thing is, number one, the big emphasis on takedowns. Number two, catching submissions as you're working through your takedowns. You want top position when you're fighting people. So, being able to take guys out. A lot of jiu-jitsu guys can't take people down. You know how yeah. great your jiu-jitsu you can't get on top of a guy. You know, and who wants to be on the bottom and get punched in the face? And then another big thing about catch wrestling as opposed to some of the other styles is it's so mean, bro. Like, yep. crowd, cross faces, grinding gym, chin whips. Like, there's a lot of really mean stuff grinding your elbow. And, like, and sometimes it comes down, and I don't want to call it cheap or, like, it's not only it's yeah, cheap, it, I just think it's... People that don't know think it's dirty. Yeah, but in the fight, what's dirty? What's, you're you know right. what I'm saying? You're if, not hitting if, anyone if in the nuts. Just at the gym, me and you rolling, and like. Yeah, you don't want to go hard on somebody, but if you're in a fight, yeah, put the hand over the mouth, kind of rub your chin in an eye. Or so, like another good one, like is if you're going for like the double wrist lock, coming from on top, yeah, and you can't get it, just blasting the elbow, the ribs, mm. and they're like, and then snatching it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might not do that at the gym, but I for sure do that in the fight. Hundred percent. And sometimes those little. Things can catch somebody off guard just enough. And then catch wrestling has some of the best, meanest stuff. And if anybody wants to learn a little bit about catch wrestling, head on over to scientificwrestling.com. Yes. Check them out. Tell Jake Shannon that Big Bad Bulletproof Truth sent you. Jake, we're trying to get you on, man. <laughs> now, for real, though, it's funny you mentioned all this, man, because I was just talking to Ricky about this exact shit on the way up. Because he keeps asking me why I'm so, uh, <laughs> can I say gay for Don't Josh say Barnett? <laughs> And I told him, I'm like, dude, he was like the OG catch wrestler in MMA. And then uh, my boy in Orlando, Brian Ruscio, he he has a catch-affiliated gym, and he brings Jake and all them guys over. We were going to have him on the podcast, but, dude, I love catch wrestling. So, interestingly enough, Josh Barnett's a Southern California guy. Yep. Josh and I was gonna been push in training camps together a good amount of times. Oh, that's awesome. Um, where his last two fights... One of which is supposed to be September 21st, 2019. I know that because I fought the same night. Him right. and I were training which, camp. Which night. fight was that? Or which fight was that supposed so to be? I want to say he was supposed to fight um, a Brazilian dude. And then it, but So then it gets pushed back to March 13, 2020. Of course. To my next fight. Same night as my next fight. So him and I put those two training camps. We, we've trained significantly. You know, Josh is the man. I have respect for Josh. Yeah, he's awesome, man. So... Were you, were you dabbling in pro wrestling at all while you were over there? Because I know you said... So, yes and no. Um, so, here's been my journey into professional wrestling. I created my brand of Bulletproof Troop early 2016 and so forth. And that got the attention. I had the WWE send me an email and stuff. Didn't pursue anywhere. And this is back in like 
2018. Oh, like, you, you went straight. You just tried to reach out to WWE? No, they reached out to me. Oh, they did? I didn't, even, I didn't hit them Dude, up. That's a huge compliment. Yeah, that's awesome. But show didn't end up going anywhere. Um, a guy named Paul Fair ended up reaching out to me and sending me an email. Uh, didn't end up going anywhere, which was a little bit of a bummer at times because I was definitely really stoked on it. But I'm glad it didn't because I don't think I was ready at that point in time yeah. to pursue professional wrestling the way that I am now. Um, but so Dave Marquez, who owns the United Wrestling Network and has been used to work closely with NWA, had two business partners, a guy named Steve Bass and George Basmajian. And the three of them together also had a fight promotion called Lights Out or California Extreme Fighting. So they hit me up and wanted to bring me to CXF and try and build me up there, be on the fight side, and then put me in professional wrestling, be a champion ideally in both organizations, use my marketing ability to, to bring fans to both. So was that something they did with other people or you just presented that opportunity no, for them? No, they hit me up. They asked yeah. me if I was That's interested awesome. in doing that. So I said, yeah. And so so I started doing commentary for the United Wrestling Network. I've actually commented probably over 100 episodes of syndicated professional wrestling. Oh, shit. Probably 500 matches. Commentated four NWA title changes. Like I've done a bunch of seven terms of commentary. Right? You're wrestling. very good on the mic, dude. Thank you. You're very good on the mic. Um, and so they brought me in to do that. And so one of the things they were going to do was train me. And so once COVID happened, California was really shut down. And like, I think that's three the first place that shut down. You know, three weeks <laughs> to flatten the curve. By the time it was six months later, I was like, I need to figure out what I'm going to do because I'm 30 something, which isn't crazy old. But, but I don't in, have time in athletics, to, yeah. right? I don't have time to sit around and wait. So I started doing. I did an online wrestling course that like talked about like a lot of the uh, building matches and an academic approach to a lot of things pro wrestling related. I didn't even know that exists. Where and was that? I also at? started doing online courses with a guy named Chris Sobio. And so we do like or not an online course, like a weekly Zoom call. Yeah. Let's say three weeks out of three out of four weeks of every. Was month. that affiliated with the reading you were doing? So two separate things. I because I know that's your trainer now, right? Chris Silva, exactly. Yeah. And so, where I do like a Zoom call with Chris once a week, let's say three per month for, you know, March, April, May, June, July, August, you know, where I end up doing a bunch together that by the time it's like October and I don't, California doesn't seem to be open up anytime soon. I was like, I can't sit here and wait anymore. I think that I need to move to Florida and go train with this guy. Dude, we were open throughout <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> so I'll get to that point. So. <laughs> So I, I just felt like I needed to do things to advance my career. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to go out to Florida. Because I was trying to bring Blake Bulletproof Troop, the brand Bulletproof Troop, to pro wrestling. Not just be Blake Troop, guy who's fighting MMA, who's now doing pro wrestling. I was trying to blend the brand and bridge the gap as much as possible between my fight brand and pro wrestling, where it's all one, as opposed to just different chapters of the same thing, where it's one big Right. Like big a Brock, Brock Lesnar like type deal. I'd worked enough with Chris that he understood me and my brand and what I was trying to do. Trying to move out here to Tampa to train with Chris. I'd never been to Tampa before. I didn't know anybody in Tampa. I moved into a house from a guy I'd only talked to on the phone. Like I changed everything in my life for professional wrestling. You know, like which is one of the reasons I'm kind of addicted to some people are like, what sacrifices have you done for this shit? Yeah. Like, oh I train, I do this, I do long drives. Like, bro, that's all the basic natural shit. Like, tell me so I moved to a motherfucking place I'd never been to in my life. I moved my whole life here just for pro wrestling. Like I changed everything in my life for this. So this left is all my girls, left everything. Do you want to go back to Cali? I go back all the time. I was just there like two days ago. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, did you, like, when you retired, you want to move back no, over there? I think home no, was here, No, I love right? Florida. And so, <laughs> here we go. So when I first came out here, I got here early December, and I was working as a bouncer at a nightclub. And so it's New Year's Eve, and California completely locked down. You can't even go out to dinner. Yeah. 
And we're at capacity of this club with no masks on. I'm on my Instagram store like, what the fuck is going on? And everyone's just like, what is happening in Florida? It's like freedom. Dude, yep. that's exactly what it is. Over here, like, nobody's like, first of all, everybody's like, this is utter bullshit. Like, nobody, like, nobody. It, it was like, I just feel bad for the people at work because it, it was pushed on to, you know, taking the jab or wearing the mask and you were forced to it. But outside of the streets, everybody continued on. Yeah. That was a game changer. COVID changed my whole life. So this was so this was your your second big move in your life, from already getting your bachelor's degree, starting MMA, now leaving MMA, to come down to Florida. I'm all in on this sure. shit. Like this is there's and people are like so like what happens if this doesn't work? Like there ain't really a plan B, you know? Like how how crazy that you spent the the first part of your life uh, learning how to take somebody's head off, right? And then now you got to retrain to throw a proper punch and kick. You know, it surprised me. I would say it's actually not that difficult. Same thing with like transition with chain and stuff. I'd almost say I'm an advantage because I have such control over these motor patterns and stuff already. <clears throat> um, or like grappling where <clears throat> I can I can float my way to whatever I need. And like sometimes I can find really cool ways into stuff because my brain can work the Rubik's cube of like, how do I get to there? Yeah. And people are like, wow, I've never seen a transition like that. Like, yeah, I mean, I just let the wheels start spinning. Um, but I think it's helped significantly. Um, I'd rather have a lot more of the background than not. Right. I mean, I mean dude, I, I always uh, bring this match up. Have you watched any WWE in like the last? Yeah. Like, did you see Brock versus The Undertaker? I have not just watched Brock versus Undertaker. <sighs> It don't, was it was so bad. Don't <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, we talk about this all the time. Yeah, because yeah, let me take a bite. It's this. probably one of the worst MMA to wrestling matches I've ever seen. Partially because the Undertaker's old, but also because they were so stiff. Like the the Undertaker's finisher, he called it the Hell's Gate, and it was a fucking yeah. Plata. yeah well, go. I think it was a Gogo. Plata. Gogo, you're right. Go yeah, but it was ridiculous because you you could tell it wasn't choking him, but he switched between that. And Brock would get them in a Kimura and they looked like they were just like, they looked like two old men floundering around. And I'm like, if you're going to do this, we might as well just have a real fight. But like you said, the floating and having the grappling actual background, because I can't even hate The Undertaker for it, man. Like, I'm, I'm glad he was a fan of MMA and trying to put it on. Right. But the dude was a wrestler. He didn't have those moves. So it's like you're forcing it in there. And now it looks like shit. When you had that match with Nick, like it flowed. It, it, it was flowing, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, that was a fun match. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I got like sixty thousand views to you on social oh, media. I couldn't believe the yeah, I think, play I think, that I got. Did he hit you with the kiss of the dragon? Yeah. The, where you go under the legs and kick the legs out? Yeah. Yeah. So shit like that is nice, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we went from an X guard where he like dodged yeah, a few yeah. punches. Well, like smashed him. I was standing over him, and he went to X guard. Yep. And then yeah, eventually that kiss of the dragon got on my back, and then I popped out and switched into a dodge. Yep. Yeah, but that that's nice too, because especially as a guy that trains jujitsu, you can see it. But even people that don't, they're like, "Whoa, what the fuck was that?" Right. So it's fun, man. So your first uh, match, how'd that go? Your first wrestling match. So my first wrestling match was on pay per view against Jordan Clearwater for the Damn. United Wrestling Network. Fifteen minutes, full on match. Yeah, they, gave you, they gave you fifteen minutes. That's huge. Curtain to curtain. Uh, so. That's huge. In Southern California, I'm a big draw, which is part of the reason why they wanted to utilize me on the fight side, the pro wrestling side. My first three matches in pro wrestling, I averaged $2,500 in ticket sales. Damn. So I sold in like six weeks, $7,500 in tickets. Damn. They got the right guy. You'd think so. <laughs> You'd think so, but they only booked me three times. 
So you had your first matches over there or over here? California, Los Angeles. Okay. So, so when you came over here and you started wrestling for NWA, how'd that go? Good. So I wrestled a little bit with Control Your Narrative. They had, that was death for Control Your Narrative. Worked a few smaller shows. Worked PCW Ultra in California once. Um, and then uh, my coach told me he thought I was ready to go um, to NWA and, and show up and see if they used me. And so I made my debut in the NWA 14 months into my career in the main event for NWA Power's Christmas special. Oh, that's shit, huge, bro. Debut. That's crazy. That's huge. Let me ask you, did you meet Billy Corgan? Oh, yeah. So Billy, so Billy, so I met Billy the day one and just introduced myself to him, talked to him for 30 seconds. And in that 30 seconds, he decided he was going to make me the main event for the next day for NWA Power's oh, Christmas special. I love nuts. Billy. <laughs> Good music. I just see something special in this kid and I want to give him a chance. That's awesome. And so... You know, they've been there since, continuing to develop and get better. Huge fan of what NWA's done for me, and I'm a huge fan of, like, what it stands for in terms of, like I said earlier, legacy of being a black belt. Yep. I think the NWA is the place that has, with the prestigious well, they, name. They go back, man. I mean, even in uh, if anyone's into what's going on right now, the Iron Claw, NWA's in that shit. Like, that's back in the 80s, man. That, that was, like, when they still thought, before kayfabe was kind of broken everyone thought guys were fighting for the strongest man in the world honestly the baddest motherfucker in the world so i mean that that name definitely still holds strong yeah the nwa world heavyweight championship in my opinion is the most prestigious belt within pro wrestling mm-hmm. i think there's other belts that are big and important and prominent and i think prominent's more the appropriate word for like a wwe title but prestigious in my opinion, it's the NWA World's Heavyweight title. Yeah, big time. Like, speaking of lineage, the lineage on that belt is nuts. Just, just Dusty. You have Dusty Flair. Everybody, man. So I try to throw little odes to people that have impacted my career. And my elbow is an ode to Dusty. Oh, that's awesome. That's fucking awesome. Were you ever a fan of ECW? Yeah, I didn't watch a ton of it, though. I'll recommend you a match. It's Dusty Rose versus, uh, I think... It's Colby Carino and N- NWA, right? Correct. So his son. So it's Steve Carino <laughs> versus Dusty Rose and ECW. It was a what's that? It was a cowbell match. Blake, it was incredible. Incredible. I've got it on my list of things to watch. It was like it, it, it wasn't crazy moves. It was just the whole psychology of the ring. They had all the fans around each other. Like it was, it'll go from like like Rock Hogan and that WrestleMania. They turn on Dusty. They were going for uh, for Steve Carino, and then back and forth. It was amazing, amazing. Very little moves, and that fucking the bionic elbow. Bionic elbow, baby. (laughs) So this one's bigger and stronger than than uh, Dusty's. (laughs) The elbow. Show stops when the elbow drops, baby. Nice. As Ricky, did, wow. did, no, you took the you took the punch. Did, did you take a as as a signature move? How many moves did you have to go through before you landed on the elbow that you felt like this is it? Uh, Were you trying other like MMA uh, stuff into pro wrestling? No, I feel like I found that because I had so many different things where Chris Silvio would give me like homework assignments and things to figure out to help me find and develop my brand. That I put enough thought and stuff into it that I knew that, that that was it before I even got in the ring and done it. And I knew the hand grenade was my finisher. You know, like I'm walking around with a big hand grenade here. My logo is a hand grenade where it's like a fist. Pull the pin, wind up, bang, lights out. Like it's is, just. Is that what we're supposed to do later? 
Yes, I don't think I want to do that anymore. How big? Nah. Let's I, think about it. I <laughs> definitely have a feeling you're going to crumple. So, tying uh, the last two things we talked about together, you, you commentated uh, Josh Barnett's blood sport, right? Correct. John Moxie versus Josh Barnett, that entire yeah. card. Which is, dude, that's just, the whole concept was beautiful to the point that WWE actually stole the concept for a minute. Um, has Josh reached out to you to have you compete on it? So I reached out to Josh about um, about commentary for him because he was in Tampa. I was like, hey, man, if you, if you need me, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, actually, I might. And so I just <laughs> shot my shot and he needed me. And then I chatted with him last time I did a scientific wrestling seminar, I don't know, probably like six or seven months ago. Not probably even longer than that because he's told me, he's like, I want to get you on the next one. It's not going to be the Mania Week one here in LA, but he's like, probably the future one after that. So hoping to get on a future one. Uh, in my opinion, that's my favorite flavor of professional wrestling. So, like, would love to get on there and put in some work with somebody who's capable of putting on that yep. type of match with me in front of a crowd that's expecting that type of match, you know? Because um, I think both are kind of required to really get it to. Get it to oh, yeah. It seems like everybody match. on those cards have those attributes so yeah. like i'm surprised aew lets their guys over there to do that and everything it's like gonna steal the show how do you how, right? do, you, how do you feel about aew uh, i don't have enough of a personal opinion to really be able to say anything one way or the other i think that it's awesome to have a variety of other competition out there one thing that i do and don't like is aew got created on the uh, impression there's gonna be a sports based program and I don't think the in-ring action necessarily meets that however Tony Khan was just talking about how he's like Hook's 28 and 1 like I think records should matter you know like and I've gotten a little bit of heat for that because I'm like 40 and 3 in terms of singles matches you know like, like I mean I've had a few losses or DQs where those in my opinion don't count right 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 I've been, I have one submission loss where I went out and I've been pinned twice in my opinion I had three clean losses well I think that matters I'm like 40 and 3 which is it's huge Exceptional, you know, like, and I think that I think it should matter. I think that there should be more, more of a sports oriented or presentation to it. Where, like, I think number one contenders should be getting title shots, not random fucking guys leaning up almost until the next pay per view story. Right, agree. Make the title mean something. Uh, but so I think AEW have more places to work. I don't, and again, I don't know a ton about it. Uh, it's funny you said that, though, because I think a lot of people have the uh, impression that they have great performers, guys that can really put on a match, be real athletic, but there's no direction story-wise. You're not building towards anything. It's just great match, great match, great match, but why do I care anymore? Yeah, so I call matches like that fireworks. Yeah. You know, like fireworks are cool to watch, and how much of a fireworks show do you remember at the end of it? Yeah. And I can't say all AEW matches are like that, but at the same time, I'm a storytelling guy. I'd rather, like when me and Nick had that one match down Bash, no bumps, zero bumps. No, zero, you guys went straight to the grappling. Yeah, but entertaining, like we had a different story of, of things where like even when I had my last match with Cha-Cha Charlie, which by the way, Cha-Cha Charlie sucks eggs. <laughs> uh, when I had my last match with Cha-Cha Charlie, which is like our main event blow off match for six month feud, I took two bumps, he took one bump. We don't need to go all this crazy, but double backflip through a table that's on fire. Right, we right. We need to do that. You know, we just took the right bumps at the right time. So I'm like, you know, I think you'd have to do less crazy bumps if people wanted to sell more. Right. 
I'm right. not speaking on any company in general. I'm just saying for my, the way I approach things, you know, like, Chacha and I had a banger match with three bumps. I, I, I was listening to uh, Kevin Nash's podcast. And he talked about, I didn't know anything about like not taking bumps until he spoke about it. He's like, you know, when you make it to the top, you try to take a, at least minimal bumps as you can to prolong your life. So he said like we wouldn't take bumps for any of like, the mid-car guys, for anybody. And it will be very difficult to take bump from someone that you didn't like either. And, and they're also like in the main event. So it came down to the, so he was saying that people like Hogan, like those guys never took bumps for anybody unless they were just putting you over. Or uh, let me take my own bump. Like you're not gonna pick me up and throw me. I'm gonna jump and do my own bump. Yeah, dude, like, that, that's true. I, I, I can't believe there's so much more of a, of, I'll say behind the scene, like politics, behind the curtain politics. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> and, and, I, and as an adult, I find that to be so interesting. You know, I enjoy a good match, but like what happens in the back, in the behind the curtains is just incredible. Yeah, you have no idea about the behind the curtain politics. Damn, I, ha so, I have another question. I well, he brought uh, up he brought up Charlie. Oh, you got something? Yeah, yeah. So my buddy Charlie. <laughs> I was gonna say we got to hear the story so behind all that. So did you guys that. did the rivalry begin in CCW or it was years? How did, did you Cha -Cha? Meet, how did you meet Cha Cha? <laughs> Well, you're asking the right questions. <laughs> let me let me take a guess. Was it at that nightclub that you worked as a bouncer before? No, but close. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the first time I remember meeting Cha Cha Charlie was when I first worked CCW. Um, so I came in. A guy named Lou Spector brought me there, and I met Cha Cha. Super cool of me, and so forth. Very friendly. And then I'm talking to Lou the next day. He's like, "So how are things with you and Cha Cha?" <laughs> I was like, cool, I like Cha-Cha. And he's like, but you guys are like, cool now. I was like, what do you mean like cool now? Like, yeah, Cha-Cha, I mean, him got along great wine. He's like, oh, you don't remember, do you? Oh, shit. And I was like, don't remember. <laughs> no, I don't. Enlighten me. So people think that my feud with Cha-Cha started because him and Lou Spector beef at CCW and Lou brought me in and so... We came in and had like a little storyline drama. Apparently, Cha Cha really is not a Bulletproof Troop fan in real life. Because <laughs> <laughs> me and Cha Cha had a little run in during WrestleMania week when it was in Tampa. So, like we talked about earlier, I was on commentary for Josh Barnett's Bloodsport card. And as you guys know, GCW just runs shows all fucking day. Yep. You know, and I'm gonna say Bloodsport was on. It was still, I think it, like, it went from light out to dark out during our show. So, I got on what, five o'clock, six o'clock. And they go to like midnight, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like nonstop all day. And so I don't remember the exact details of how this this went down, but I know how I am. So I'm just gonna tell like that's how it happened because I'm pretty sure it's probably very similar to that. Is so people come get me and they're like, I heard this part that I think people came and got me and there's this drunk guy who's like making a fucking big scene. They needed to get out and like he wouldn't leave and so forth. <laughs> so they come get the big motherfucker, you know? And so I come over and there's this guy and he's fucking all drunk and so and this is where I say I'm not sure but like this is how I would handle in real life like nicely like ask him hey bro it's time to go and said some slick shit <laughs> so second time like nah bro like for real like it's time to fucking leave and said some slick shit so now I'm like third time like bro you're about to get fucking dragged out of this place and fucking thrown in the street like it's time to go <laughs> and said some slick shit <laughs> and so 
Apparently, I dragged him out by his neck and threw him in the street. Oh, shit. Um, and I have no recollection of this, but it absolutely happened. Um, so, Chacha Charlie has been not such a big bulletproof troop fan. Like, he'll be cool with me and, like, <laughs> been nice to me and stuff. We talked about it one day, but, like, from my understanding and the things that have gotten back to me, he's not... Still to this day, not a big bulletproof troop fan. Oh, shit. But so I find out this happens. Lou tells me. And so I approach Chacha the next time I see him at TCW. I'm like, hey, man, I hear there's some history between us. Like, no offense. Like, he's not the person. If we were here at CCW and you came up to me and told me the same thing, and I went and tried to get a guy on, he wouldn't leave, and blah, 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 blah. I'd have dragged that motherfucker out, too. It had nothing to do with you. Like, so hopefully that doesn't affect our personal or our professional relationship moving forward. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. We're cool, blah, blah, blah. But... From the things that I've heard, I don't think that he necessarily stood be stood by. So you're saying we're gonna have to have a uh, collaboration, Blake Troop and Cha Cha Charlie episode in the future. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I think if me and Cha Cha Charlie are gonna do anything, we ought to get back inside of a professional wrestling ring. Because Cha Cha, I sell you a few chops, my man. So me and Cha Cha had a match. I want to put Cha Cha on blast for this one. Cha Cha and I had a, had our blow off match. It's we're battling on the outside. So. Puts me against the ring. He's like, chops. I'm like, all right, feet in my chest. Chop one, chop two, chop three. All right, bam, I come out for him. Feed him up a little bit more around the ring. And then he plants me against the cage, against the rail. He's like, chops. <laughs> this motherfucker. Chop. And I'm like, all right, one chop. And I switch. Wham. And I chop the fuck out of this dude. And he's like, oh, and tries to sell away. And I'm like, Oh, hey, you want to turn your back? Chop. No, you didn't. On chop his back. the fuck out of him on his back. Too. He's like, ow. And he turns around looks at me again like, oh, yeah, I got one more for you. And he, like, cowers away. Like, so I don't really get the third one in. But, bro, don't fucking call chops on me if you're not going to give me my chops back. I gave you three for free. You come back to the well for a second time. Then not give me anything back. Had to, had to make it entertaining. So I have tape on my hands. I chopped this motherfucker. Oh, and there's, like, kids right here that are like, it's cha cha. I owe you a few chops, man. We ought to do that. You you see any? What are some some pro wrestling uh, submissions that you could see being done in an MMA cage? Uh, dude, Bob Boston Crab. I've seen it done in an MMA. Yeah, I, I see I'm actually yeah. surprised that we don't see that more often in a professional wrestling match. Or I mean, in an MMA fight, because there are times where like I could have totally see that. <laughs> even if it was just one one leg, you know, like. Boston I'd be so crab. mad if somebody hit with Boston Crab. Oh, yeah. I won't tap. I'd rather be paralyzed. I don't want to fucking tap out to that. Well, what that, about, that was always the thing. It was kind of like a forbidden move because you could snap someone's shit up. What about the sharpshooter? I think you're too hard to lace the legs. Yeah. I think you put yourself in a precarious position once you start intertwining your legs. Particularly the guys that are good with leg locks. But Catch did have some good shit, like all the, the crab rides and the leg uh, entanglements and stuff. That yeah. It's close, but I don't, yeah, sharpshooter or figure four, any of that stuff against someone resisting like really hard. It's too much. What, what was Chris Benoit's uh, move? The, the, the crippling cross 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 That shit has to hurt. So there's something called the Iminari, which is very similar, which yes. almost like you have an omoplata. So you got your leg here. Uh-huh. But, but he does. He, yeah, he does face. it, right? Huh? It's it's the same move pretty much, isn't it? Very similar, except for the arms. Yeah. Slightly different position of the body. Instead of laying wrapped in the arm, I'm sitting up with the arm wrapped in right. the legs. I think um, Mercedes Monet or whatever her name is uses it. Yeah. And that's right. Right on the on the face or the 
Either or, both suck. It if it's hurts. me, I try to get under the nose right oh, here. Dude, that hurts. Oh, it sucks, bro. Dude, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that. That's another thing. Like, dude, some of these Japanese guys are nuts. Like, Imanari is one of the craziest motherfuckers alive. Like, he, they, they have moves named after him. Guys in the UFC use it, the Imanari role, but I forgot about that one. Yeah, Imanari's a throwback, old school Jap guy. Yep. And a lot crazy, of those guys. Crazy catch wrestler. Same like Sakuraba, like all them guys, man. And they make it fun. Like, who the fuck is doing a crippler crossface? Yeah. So I'm one of my favorite fighters of all time. Yeah, me too, man. What about what about influences? Well, you said you said the guys early on in the UFC, right? So I'd say some of the biggest influences um, for both for MMA and uh, rest in professional wrestling. So I'll start with MMA. I'd say Conor McGregor's a big one because if Conor, there was no Conor, there'd be no Bulletproof Troop. Where he was somebody that I really watched doing the entertainment value stuff. And I went, I went, not that he created the character, but like I saw I needed to create boosty entertainment value. And I did that through creating a character, which was like based on my pro wrestling love as I grew up. So Connor Tito Ortiz is another big name person probably that inspired me from mixed martial arts um, in terms of developing my brand. And then Anderson Silva and Stefan Bonner, two people that I would say really influenced me in my desire to go out and compete. Forrest is a really good friend of mine, uh, training with Anderson Silva, who's arguably on the Mount Rushmore, one of the greatest right. to ever do it. We're like, man, you it becomes a lot more realistic and almost a t obtainable feeling. When you see this guy's just a regular motherfucker like us, he's got a kid, his kids might be there, like, you know, where you can go for things in life. Um, and then for professional wrestling, I would say, Degeneration X, like as yes, a wolf, I kind of like. It's hard to say one, but like Degeneration X, The Rock, Stone Cold, and Sting. I would say like Sting. I, I for DX, I, I, we always have this conversation with everyone at work, the wrestling fans, and it's better be Shawn Michaels. Dude, I can't. I can't <laughs> with Shawn Michaels and Triple H. No matter how much I try, great athletes, great matches. I I just feel like. I think Shawn Michaels is Shawn Michaels outside of the ring. He's amazing. <laughs> and, but to me, DX was Roll Dog. Um, Billy Gunn. X-Pac. X-Pac yep. China. China. Yep. To me, that's where I did the yeah. all throughout. Yeah, so I, I would say between the time of Shawn Michaels really becoming part of DX is when I stopped watching. Because to Thank me, you. he's not DX. And I'm not... And I'm not saying he's not. I'm just from what I grew up he, on. Like, he, like he, not just hates, I he hates Shawn Michaels. I mean, I'm not against Shawn Michaels. I'm just speaking from an yeah, era he, point in time. That's why we always bring it up. It's just like a running joke. Shawn Michaels owes me like $10. We'll, we'll throw it out there. How do you feel about Scott Hall and how do you feel about Shawn Michaels? Fucking Scott Hall's the man. I love Scott Hall. I was huge outside. So I was huge NWA. So I, I watched the Monday Night Wars, you know, yeah. like I was one of the guys flipping back and forth. Like the Wolf Pack was like my shit, bro. Like yeah. it was. They were like the DX of a. Uh, Oh, WCW. It was awesome, man. It was like the best time to be alive, honestly, and be a wrestling fan. Were, were you starstruck by, by anybody that you've met in your journey? Where you kept your cool, but you're like, oh, boy, you know. I mean, I've got Wiz Khalifa's phone number in my phone. Oh, what? that's crazy. I've had a foursome with Joey Fatone from NSYNC. Oh, that is awesome. I got to get out of here. Uh, that, that is awesome, Yo, Thank you and for dropping that. you the two girls with us, bro. <laughs> 
You, you can still yeah. pull girls, right? But how does you know, how, how does Tristan that Tate? You know, you know Andrew Tate. Of course, of course. Tristan Tate's brothers, good friends of mine. You always see my him wearing my merch on but, their but, show. But hold up, step back, man. How were you hanging out with Joey Fatone? How did that happen? Were yeah. you were you look auditioning? At the neutral friends. Look at this. <laughs> look at this smile. It's like was a boy band the other? <laughs> no, I think bands. I think I know what this is. Is it uh, Eskimo Brothers? Um, well, Eskimo Brothers just means you smash the same chick. I'm yeah. talking about we were in the same room with two girls. <laughs> yeah, passed them back and forth. He said it exactly how it happened. That's why I was like, that was, that's fucking but that, awesome. That's a great story. Were, I know, and I wasn't an insane fan, but like 16 year old bulletproof troop would be really proud. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bucket list item you didn't know you needed. Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's fucking awesome. But that that's great. I'm, I'm assuming with joint with Khalifa. Yeah, because he he probably did he train with you over in Cali because I know he got really into that shit. So I know his body arts. Oh, okay. That's, but so he lives in LA too. Yeah. Which I'm stoked. The next time I'll be in Los Angeles for fights is February 16th. It's a Friday, and the Wiz has a show in Long Beach on the 17th. It's all gonna get backstage passes oh, and all nice that. Like, Damn. So, so how old is Joy Fatone now? Forty six, probably, probably around, like probably that. around our age, and they're no way, dude. They're having, older. They're having to come back too. I'm not gonna lie. Anytime I, I'm not gonna say this on on camera. Say it. Anytime there's an instinct song that comes on the radio, I'm like, you turn it up. <laughs> this shit is popping. If it's good, <laughs> say something. Like I said, I wasn't a big. Oh, I was more of a, fan, I was more of a Backstreet Boys fan. So. He's damn. So I can't believe uh, Joy Fatone still pulling girls. <laughs> oh, bro, he pulls a bunch of chicks. Of course. That's bad females. Bro. Yeah, that's dude, fucking he was crazy. In that's fucking in awesome. sync, man. I feel like that's it. Like, oh, Joey Fatone from NSYNC. I, I did like the stuff that he did with the Impractical Jokers. That shit was hilarious. I haven't seen it. So funny. So funny. Check that out, too. You'll like that. All right. Well, um, thank you for spending time with us today. I mean, yeah. I, I had fun, man. You're a fucking super interesting guy. Um, thank you for taking the time out to do this. Uh, you have anything else you want to plug? I know you got well, the you got I'm the. I'm trying to say up. shout out to everybody who's been rocking on the team for however long y'all been rocking on the team. Appreciate everybody who's given the opportunities they have. Appreciate Dan Rick for bringing me on today. And stay tuned because we got a whole bunch of stuff cooking, baby. Locked, cocked, and ready to rock. Bang bang! Ooh, and where where can these guys find you? For the people that haven't been rocking with you, where can they find you? You can come on over to bulletprooftroop.com. Get yourself some merch. You can find me at bulletproof troop on Instagram, or you can go to at big troop twenty two on X or Twitter, or whatever they're calling that thing these days. I gotta work on my TikTok and my Snapchat game, so you can't find me there yet. But you definitely want to go to my Instagram and peep my story because it gets a little wild. Um, <laughs> Yeah, bang, bang. <laughs> All right, well, again, thank you, Blake. Uh, it was a good time, man. Hopefully you enjoyed it. That chicken was fucking delicious. Right? Yes. How good is this chicken here? Dude, look. 